1: to the darkened hour. Okay, hello everyone, and hello Adam.
0: Hey, good evening Richard.
1: Okay Adam, so today's episode somewhat follows on from a couple of episodes ago, we we were talking about Ziad Jara, the supposed pilot of Flight 93, we questioned whether he was the pilot or not, and discussed his family connections to Mossad, the Israeli secret service group. Um, now we're looking at like the nine eleven truth movement okay there's a lot of like Israel is singled out um, I suppose as long as the United States as the country held up as being most responsible for nine eleven. you see a lot of like images of the six pointed star and the twin towers on on Facebook um, a lot of it seems like there's not a lot behind it um, maybe it's overblown uh, but we do have some reasons for like to talk about this Israeli angle too, right? So what I wanted to ask you today is if you could um, expand on what we were talking about at the Zia episode and um, boil it down to what do we actually know about Israeli involvement in foreknowledge of 9-11?
0: Well, this is a very uh, polarizing subject in regards to basically just a truth movement. A lot of people um, have made the Israelis as the perpetrators of 9-11. And uh, it's not as uh, simple as that. Um, You know, they weren't the ones who hijacked the planes. And uh, if you want to say that uh, that they knew about it, um, I won't disagree. I think for sure um, the Israeli Mossad had foreknowledge of the attacks itself. Um, and they weren't the only ones. You also had the Saudi uh, intelligence group, the General Intelligence Directorate, out west. The Israeli Mossad here in the east, uh, in in uh, under the coverage of using moving companies, and which is an ingenious proposition because they can actually move around while the hijackers are moving from Florida to New York for say. Um, so they would have better coverage and better monitoring of the, uh, the Hamburg cell, which was, which was based in the east and Khalid al-Midar, Nawaf hazmi and Hani Andhra out west and the Saudis were following them. In the east coast, there is a uh, moving company called Urban Moving Systems and it was managed by Dominic Suter. Um, they have an office in New York and in New Jersey with the bigger warehouse in Weehawken, New Jersey. Um, it has come out through, redacted, by the way, FBI field reports after 9-11 that these moving companies um, based in New Jersey, New York, and in Florida are connected to one another. Um, And the story starts, of course, with... uh, Um, a woman who was in Doric Towers, her name is Maria. Her last name is redacted in the FBI report to uh, protect her identity. And she said that she saw um, three men who were seemingly celebrating while the North Tower was uh, burning. Um, And that she waited until her husband got home um, to make a call to the police in which uh, the police then sent out a bolo of beyond the lookout uh, for this white van with the license plate. uh, I don't know license plate, but license plate number was uh, given out. And Maria actually was viewing this celebration with her binoculars. She was up on the, uh, I think somewhere up on like the 20th floor of the The towers. Towers are very tall. And that they were in the door Uh, parking lot, Newark Towers parking lot, which has a a wide view of downtown Manhattan. You can see the towers right there. When the uh, BOLO was on the, um, was on Nationwide uh, account, at about, I think, 4.30, uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey Police Department were on the parkway. When one officer, Scott DeCarlo, actually saw a white man with the license plate number, but, but one license plate number being off by like a number or a letter, or something like that. And he decided to take action and said, I'm going to pull this truck over. And that when the truck was pulled over, him and another police officer went to the passenger and to the driver's side. And Scott DeCarlo went to the driver's side. And the driver was uh, Sivan Kurzberg who was an employee of Urban Moving Systems. And he says, sir, we need you to come out of the truck. And he doesn't get out, even though Sivon Kurzberg could speak English. um, He doesn't follow the command of Scott DiCarlo. And Scott DiCarlo actually is nervous at this point. He doesn't know if, you know, this is part of the 9-11 attacks. He then decides to open up the door and drag Simon Kersberg out. His partner on the other side manages to pull his gun, and tells all the others to come out of the truck, and they do, and they all sit on the side. Meanwhile, the cars who are um, on the parkway see this, and they start yelling and screaming, and more cops are coming to um, to moderate uh, the, uh, the, the scene before it breaks out into chaos. So... He then, as he's pulling Sivan Kersberg out of the truck, Sivan Kersberg then says something very peculiar, which has no relevancy to why he's um, being pulled out of the truck. He says, "Um, we are not your problem. The Palestinians are your problem. Your problem are our problems. Now, when you take that statement to effect, it really has no relevancy to the scene at the time. Uh, Why would Scott DeKal uh, care about you know, Palestinians in, in the, uh, the attacks on 9-11. Nobody knows what happened. Um, so the statement didn't make sense, but it made an impression on Scott DeCall enough that he remembered that exchange. So he notices that the Irving Moving Systems truck um, had five occupants in it at this time. Uh, the five occupants were Sivan Kurzberg, his brother Paul Kurzberg, um, Yaron Schmel, uh, Oded Elner, and um, Mamari uh, Omar Mamari. Those were the five occupants. Um, when they brought them back to uh, East Brothersford uh, headquarters, police department, um, Scott DeCall wrote a three page report, which is not redacted at all. You could view it on archive.org. Um, After two days of being in East Brunsford, the FBI then took over the case of these five Israeli nationals, because according to DeCarlo, they had information in their truck, uh, which was pretty incriminating. Um, One of the things that they found in the truck was a map, and the map had the World Trade Center, Doric Towers, George Washington Bridge, and other areas highlighted on the map. Um, they also found a black book, a small black book, a notebook of seems, and it had numbers of other moving companies like classic international movers um, in Florida, uh, Moishi movers, uh, Max movers, white glove movers. These were all moving companies that had Israeli nationals working for them. In fact, on September, I think 14th,'ll hold me to the date I think it was just a couple of days after 9/11, the FBI made arrests uh, with Israeli nationals at classic international movements, which I think had an office also in New Jersey as well. So the FBI then took over the case and over the course of the next month, they tried to get uh, the Kurtzberg brothers and others to take lie detector tests and they all refused. Um, When I I believe it was Paul Kurzberg who took the lie detector test, he failed, miserable, terrible. Um, So that was enough to hold them because they weren't telling them everything until they interviewed Omar Mamari, who was the youngest of the five. Um, And he was the last person that they picked up on the day before they were to drive, I think when they were taking the, the East, Rutherford Turnpike. They were going back to headquarters in Weehawken, um, but they also found passports uh, to other countries as well that they were supposed to, uh, I guess, flee from. I don't want to incriminate them like that, but what what else would they be? And these were tickets to South America um, and Europe. In fact, on uh, in one of the um, in a sock of von uh, Kurtzberg they found. Uh, I think it was $5,000 cash or $4,000 cash. That's a lot of money in a sock. why wouldn't it be in this pocket? Um, so a lot of incriminate, suspicious things that kept uh, the Israelis themselves to be held for the next 61 days until pressure from two unnamed uh, senators in New York with um, uh, the lawyer, uh, uh, Dershowitz, Alan Dershowitz, acting as mediator uh, for the release of the Israeli nationals themselves. All to the um, the, the, uh, the the FBI who wanted to hold them there for longer because when you look at the FBI reports itself, which can also could be found on archive.org, the report itself is heavily redacted. And one important page as to the agent who wrote the report, who is unnamed, um, is asked the question, he asks, what was the reason for the the continued uh, imprisonment, well, the holding of these Israeli nationals? Um, and did they have any type of uh, information that they were withholding? And what was the opinion of the agent himself? And he, the page is a page and a half long, and it's all redacted. So if these Israeli nationals didn't have anything uh, incriminating to them, um, they would have been released a long time ago. And plus, uh, a simple no would have been the answer to the question regarding um, if they had any relevant information to the 9-11 attacks, as asked in the report.
1: Okay, Adam. But the other thing that occurs to me, is: there ever been a reason given for why the redactions, right? Because if they're just like three young guys... Um, enjoying life in a foreign country making some money working for a moveworth company and they just they just happened to be in that area and uh, they saw a plane hit a building so they went up to a higher building to take photos and that's that then w- what's the need for the redaction is any explanation being given ever for why these reports because that, that seems incongruent like if they're nobodies what are they saying that needs to be redacted
0: Sure. Uh, well, a lot, if you, have, you have to read the report to understand certain redactions. Some was to protect the, uh, the witnesses who said, uh, for example, um, they, the FBI uh, actually interviewed some of the, uh, the residences of Doric Towers, um, asking if they saw uh, an urban moving systems on September 10th or on any other day before that which is true um, according to two unnamed eyewitnesses because their names are redacted. They actually saw an urban moving systems truck at 8 a.m. at on September 11th. And also on the day of September 10th, when they had a client that they were moving. And it, I think was a the client itself was like a painter or something like that. But also too, some of the redactions are regarding of the stuff that the urban moving systems uh, employees said to the neighbors of Doric Towers. In fact, one, um, which is partially redacted, one of the uh, Urban Moving Systems employees actually told um, one of the residences of Doric Towers that he was actually um, a warehouse worker. He was a maintenance who worked at Doric Towers. Um, He was a painter. So that they were giving these different different, uh, employee statuses of, who they actually were, why they were hiding the fact that they were moving companies or employees of urban movie systems, you know, one can only speculate as to why. Um, so I don't know why. Uh, the other reasons why there was uh, uh, certain redactions in that report was also to hide um, information gathered about the other moving companies. Um, as to why this happened, I don't know. Uh, maybe the um, the broader spectrum was that, the Israeli um, Mossad operation was a a lot more extensive as reported by later on by Carl Cameron of Channel 5 who did an expose in 2002. Um, Another reason was maybe uh, they wanted to hide the identities of these people in these other moving companies and identities of other Mossad operatives, which later became more public in the Shea Memorandum written by Gerald Shea, who is a lawyer um, based in, I think, Illinois, who wrote a huge memorandum, which he tried to give to uh, the 9-11 Commission and the Joint House Inquiry, in which they both got the memorandum but didn't elaborate further on it. Incidentally enough, um, the Urban Moving Systems uh, story uh, wasn't expanded upon by either the 9/11 Commission or the Joint House Inquiry, with the Joint House, I can understand because they were actually just investigating the CIA, the NSA, and the uh, the FBI, whereas the 9/11 Commission expanded a little bit further. Mm-hmm. So those are the reasons as to why some of those redactions were necessary, and in on the other spectrum, unnecessary. Maybe they were hiding the fact that this Mossad operation uh, that was taking place on the East Coast was much more expensive and they were hiding the identities of these people and what they were doing.
1: Okay, so and you mentioned you think there's um, a connection that the the moving companies had been actually moving the hijackers
0: No, I, I they were monitoring them. For example, uh, when Marwan al Shahi, Muhammad, Atta, Abdul Aziz al Amar were living in an apartment in a condo in Hollywood, Florida, uh, just one block down. uh, It was reported uh, by Gerald Shea um, and other sources as well that there was a Mossad uh, uh, agency, probably from classic international movers, uh, that were living in an apartment just one block away, monitoring these people. So they were keeping close watch, even as far back as the year 2000 Um, because that's when they first started coming into the United States, some of these people. Um, So when they were moving around from New Jersey to Florida and to New York, um, these movie companies then can take over from these different movie companies in monitoring these people. Now, according to one questionable source, which is Wayne Madsen, um, who I would find to be, uh, on the fence in terms of credibility, so take what you will. According to Wayne Matson, he thinks that the uh, the Israeli Mossad operatives in New Jersey were actually seen with um Mohammed Atta Abdul Aziz al in New Jersey at a video store. Um, but his sources only go back to his website. So take what you will from there. So with a very grain of salt. I don't like using questionable sources, but Wayne Matts sometimes has decent information, which is very factual. Sure. So be careful with that. Um, But as for moving them around, no, there's no actual evidence of that. Um, There is evidence of classic international movers moving um, the family in Sarasota, Florida, who then escaped To Saudi Arabia, that um, um, co chair of the Joint House Inquiry, Bob Graham, um, talks about to uh, a website called Florida Bulldog, which is a very good website, not very known, but very good website because they detail the Saudi link to the 9 11 attacks. Um, And Daniel Hopsicker, who is an independent journalist, um, actually refers to them as a reputable site as well. Um, So for anybody listening, go to floridabulldog.com. It's actually a very good source for obscure 9-11 information that you won't hear at the legacy media.
1: So with regard to the moving company in Florida, that's one block away and there was investigative work done, just, just talk me through the chain there that this, um, sorry, say his name again. It's a lawyer or investigative journalist. Uh, it was uh,
0: an investigative journalist. Um, Way Madison?
1: No, no, sorry, not Madison. The um, the the you mentioned someone doing an investigation oh, of. Oh, uh, Gerald Shea. Yeah. yeah, so he located um, a particular moving company, and then he found out where the employees were living, and then he related that to where the because hi- we know where the hijackers were, okay. Right. But he related the staff of this moving company, who were Israeli nationals, were one block away.
0: Right. Uh, this okay. was actually this was actually reported by uh also I, I believe it was cBS uh news as well in a website but it was it was also like you know uh, forgotten about in the, in the next day or two as as re- in regards to a lot of the uh, uh hidden anomalies of nine
1: eleven i'm just trying to get is that in any way a speculative leap to say that those guys can we actually tie in that they were involved with Mossad or something well,
0: it's actually reported on uh, the Gerald Shea Memo itself. The Gerald Shea Memo actually goes into much detail. It's a big detail. Hardly anyone knows about the Gerald Shea Memo. Um, but if you look at, uh, just type in Google, uh, Gerald Shea Memo uh, PDF, it'll come right up. And it was a big, it was a very um, lengthy report done by him. And um it showed the extensive nature, not just in Florida too. It was like in the Southwest as well, Oklahoma, for example, Texas. Um, also, re- in regards to um, the the art student ring that these people were using, uh, selling paintings to the DEA and the FBI, it was almost like they were it was almost like they were nebulous between the moving companies and the art student ring. Um, but the shame memo is the only memo that really goes into detail about uh, the Mossad opera uh, of rings. There were three, by the way. There were three rings. One was the ecstasy ring, which came out a little bit earlier and later, between 1996 mm-hmm. to 2002. The art student ring, which was the biggest Mossad operative of ring. Um, it was about approximately 250 people involved with that. And they were infiltrating – well, they were selling – Cheap art to the homes. They went to the homes of uh, drug enforcement agents, um, the FBI, uh, even State Department officials, and of course you had the movie companies, which were monitoring the hijackers between Florida, New Jersey, and New York. So you had three rings. Now whether they were all similar simultaneously involved with the monitoring of the 9/11 hijackers or the Hamburg cell. Um, it'd be a pretty much of a stretch to, to address uh, the drug ring with the moving companies. But with the art student ring, I don't think they worked together or with each other. That's my opinion. I don't th- I think there were separate rings, but they actually uh, collected information separately. And, but, but that information was used jointly. If you can understand what I'm trying to get at, maybe.
1: Okay. Now, how do you think this ties in with the American, well, Two things: the American security establishment. Like, do you think elements within, say, the CIA uh, know what's going on with these rings, and they're they're happy for that because these organisations, by this point, have strong links at some level, and also with the um, neoconservative political group that came in along with Bush, and documents like like PNAC, the famous one, but also a clean break. Okay, the Richard Pearl authored um, pro-Zionist document from a little bit earlier in the 90s. Um, how, how do you think there's there's any link there, um, agenda-wise, as to what's... with the allowing these Israeli groups to operate and covering up when they do operate within the United States, then, and with maybe wanting certain outcomes with regard to 9-11 to be able to do things like go to war in Iraq and, and so on?
0: I think... With the CIA, let's start there first. I think with the CIA that they may have known, certain agents anyway, I don't think many actually knew, um, about the transfer of monitoring the Hamburg cell, for example. Because the CIA is not allowed to legally operate inside the United States, um, that they may have allowed the Mossad itself to start monitoring uh, the, the Hamburg cell as early as 2000 when Atta and um, Ziad Jara and Marwan El-Shea uh, relocated to uh, Florida, for example.
1: In the way the GID, the Saudi intelligence, seemed to be doing it on the, the West Coast. They used the Mossad. That's um,
0: correct. I, I, think, I think what happened was, was that if we go back, and we covered this in our series, I'll use uh, the example of what I think has actually happened here. The CIA was monitoring the Hamburg cell in Germany. They were also monitoring them uh, in Afghanistan as well. But because they're not allowed to monitor them inside the United States, because it's unlawful that the CIA to uh, legally conduct operations inside, inside the United States, that they may have transferred uh, the monitoring to the Mossad. For example, when Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Awafah Hazmi left, that important meeting in Malaysia, according to Richard Blee, Richard Blee says that when Khalid al Minar and Nawaf al-Hamzi left for the United States after they leave the meeting in Malaysia, they went to to, um, Saudi Arabia, then they left for the United States. Richard Blee goes back uh, to a principal's meeting and says, we have lost uh, contact with Khalid al-Midar and Nawaf al-Hamzi. The NSA never says that. Actually, the NSA actually always monitors them both as far back as 99. So they don't lose contact, but they don't tell which of Blee is. Um, but isn't it quite convenient that Blee loses the contacts of these two guys who then go to California, and immediately upon arrival there, they meet Saudi national Omar al-Bayoumi, who gets them housing and sets them up with yeah. a car. So yeah. that's what I think is happening here is that the CIA. Yeah,
1: I, I think that that when we looked at that, we decided it was very unlikely the CIA lost contact with these people. Right. Just, yeah. Um, sorry, I interrupted your flow. No. There, but that's, uh, yeah. See, so yeah, And again, there's like really good reasons to think that they were monitoring the Hamburg cell in Hamburg, right? And so there is, you do see a pattern there. Then the hijackers arrived in the United States and they're picked up by, Saudi and then Israeli Intelligence group officers.
0: Yeah, that's right. Agents. Yeah with, with well with Zia Jara in our previous uh, podcast with Zia Jara, He was actually even monitored by uh, agencies in um, oh, I think it was Lebanon or I, I think it was uh what was that one country that we oh, I Forgot off the top of my head uh, where they found his passport his passport on Zia Jara's passport he had an Al Qaeda symbol.
1: Oh yeah, he was um, he was in the United Arab Emirates, wasn't he? Where they picked. Yes, him? that's uh, yeah. that's
0: correct. Yeah. So the Al
1: Qaeda symbol on the passport is something that um, I think it might have been the UAE, or they were marking passport right. ports in that's a way, right. they? Or, Yeah.
0: Yes, it was. And that even then, I mean, even the intelligence, the, the Mukbarat and uh, UAE intelligence, following. Jara. So you have a lot of these agencies in other countries monitoring these people as well. So if you're going to tell me that they weren't always monitoring people every second of the day, um, you're fooling yourself because um, most of these people probably knew what these people were up to. Um, we covered this as well in terms of what they were talking about on the phone at the Yemen hub um, and plus the phones that they were using, which was monitored by the NSA as well. So these people, uh, and of course, too, these are all just speculative links. There's no hard evidence to say that the Mossad was always uh, monitoring Zia Jaro, The CIA was always monitoring JAR. There's these files that haven't been released yet, documents um, uh, that haven't been made public. But all you have to do is just play, uh, add uh, two and two together. I mean, these agencies were always following these hijackers. As far back as 1996, uh, things that we covered in our series and on the podcast previously uh, showed this as well I mean we do have public information that shows that German intelligence has always been monitoring the Hamburg cell even though that these intelligence rings sometimes don't often share information with one another and that's the case with the CIA and the FBI it's not always the case with um, uh, coexisting countries such as Israel. And the United yeah. States, because it could uh, have a beneficial outlook for the future in regards to the bigger aspects, which would be the Pentagon, the State Department, and the war machine itself, on a, on, a, on a political and a, a geopolitical basis.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. For that well, is it. Where, where else would you like to go with this? Is there more to say on the?
0: Well, I mean, in regard, look, in regards to – I, I think this is a big problem in regards to the nine eleven truth community uh, with certain popular names, which I won't get into, um, that they just want to blame Israel for the 9-11 attacks. And I think this is a huge mistake. A lot of these people are saying that, for example, most people who don't believe in planes or they don't believe in hijackers, that the problem stems back to their point that they believe that Israel's so, or the CIA or the Saudis are involved. When when you dismiss the notion of hijackers and planes, you eliminate the complicity slash foreknowledge of those same agencies. Um, who are the Israelis following if there's no hijackers? Who was the CIA following if there's no hijackers? Um, if there's no planes, um, who were the, um, the Israelis celebrating on Doric Towers. So I think that there needs to be a careful analysis. Was Israel intelligence involved? Uh, absolutely. They, they at least have foreknowledge. Complicity, it's going to be a tough sell. Um, but with Ziad Jar, which I covered in our previous podcast, that could be the case. And that could be even a more bigger, bigger uh, case in regards to Israel being involved with the 9-11 attacks at some level. But one has to be very careful and very thorough in their studies in regards to the 9-11 attacks and not allow their uh, you know, preconceived worldviews to intervene yeah. and uh, lead them into speculation, which would be damaging to the overall point in showing complicity for the attacks
1: okay thanks for that adam i think maybe in the future we'll talk more about the background story of israel and zionism and its geopolitical wider geopolitical strategy okay and what that brings to the table in understanding how the pieces move but uh, yeah thanks thanks for now and uh, we'll pick that up again
0: thank you very much richard